Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Blaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hi there, and welcome to the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Oh, yeah. So, Ando, how are you this evening? Mate, I'm one week into quarantine, and I'm over it already. (laughs) Uh, Having two kids at home uh, for the entire week is tough, especially when one is 18 months and doesn't really talk that much yet. So he just communicates through screams and yells and noises. So (laughs) I am ready to just shunt him back off to daycare for (laughs) a bunch of time. So... (laughs) Yeah. Uh, shout out to people that have more than two kids at home and are having to do this lockdown. Um, yeah. It's not fun. It's not fun. But hey, it's only for two weeks, hopefully. And it's nowhere near as bad as Melbourne has had it previously. So that's don't right. count my blessings there. That's right. And we're one week down, one week to go. And hopefully things will go a little bit more back to normal. But there's been some great rugby over the weekend to chat about. So um, we'll get into that shortly. Ando, what are our social media platforms? Where can people find us? Instagram, hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby on Facebook at the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast page and Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Now we have some super exciting stuff that is going to be happening tonight. So you'll be listening to this on Monday if you're listening to it once it first comes out. And tonight at 8pm, we have a very special live recording, live stream of the preview of the Wallabies match versus France, which is happening on Wednesday, 8pm on Facebook, on Twitter and Instagram. And mate, do you want to reveal who our special guest is going to be? You know what? I might leave it for later. Oh, I'm going to keep people on. People will have to listen to the rest of the pod to find out. We'll announce it at the end. Okay, cool. All right. I'm okay with that. So what are we going to be doing tonight then, mate? All right. Well, we are focusing tonight on the Super W that has just wrapped up over the weekend with the Waratahs women taking out the comp yet again. Fantastic that the Waratahs have won something this year. And as a proud Waratahs fan, we are riding that high all the way to the bank. So we're being joined by Brittany Mitchell from ESPN to go through the Super W competition, the abbreviated tournament we saw this year and then we will talk through some internationals and a little bit of spicy news and a little bit of uh, locker room with her as well brilliant well let's get on into it let's go let's go Now, Mitch and I have been watching as many of the Super W games as time has allowed over the last week or so. We've been cheering on the women in their abbreviated competition, which finished on Saturday with the Waratahs yet again being crowned the 2021 champions, which is why I'm wearing my Waratahs gear, loud and proud. (laughs) But we are super new to the women's rugby scene, and to save us from making total fools of ourselves, we've invited ESPN journalist Brittany Britt Mitchell to join us. Welcome, Britt. How's your day been? Hey guys, how are you going? It's really exciting to be joining you. Um, second podcast under my belt now. It's really exciting. <laughs> Becoming a professional. Ooh, please ooh. don't show us up before the end of the pod. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I'm just hoping this equals more money at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, if you're expecting it from us, then no, but hopefully through your own ESPN connections, you can you can work something out there. I don't think we've earned a single cent and yet we paid a lot of money for all this. But anyway, it's good fun. Now, uh, we've got in touch with you because you're a journalist 
journalist at ESPN. You cover rugby and women's rugby. And I'd just love to hear a bit of the background about the guests that we have on before we actually dive into the topics that we chat about. So can you tell us a little bit of, about your background in sports journalism and rugby and how those have come together? Um, okay, yeah, really interesting. Um, not really. Uh, I have uh, three older brothers and they all played rugby growing up. So, of course, at eight years old, I decided that I had to give rugby a go. Um, it lasted one season before I turned to netball. But um, growing up, I always loved rugby. Um, I did always want to go back to playing rugby. And uh, my love of sport turned into one day I decided that I would write about it. So I went to uni, did my degree, and somehow ended up getting a job at ESPN within months of graduating, which is really exciting. So I've been covering rugby for about, I think it's eight years this year. I'll have been working at ESPN and covering rugby alongside a few other things. And um, yeah, I, I love it. I play it now. I play sevens for the, the Gordon team. Um, a quick shout out to the girls. Um, <laughs> the gazelles have managed to win every game since I got injured at the start of the season. So they're <laughs> oh. really inflating my ego right now. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of where I came from. I just wanted to follow in my brother's footsteps so much that now I'm the rugby expert in the household. <laughs> How fantastic. And awesome. did your brothers play for any of the local clubs or what level did they get to? Um, so my middle brother actually still plays for Gordon. So he is, what, 36 this year and um, still going strong with the local Gordon boys. Um, he loves it. He still loves to get around the boys. He's been overseas a few times. He played in Canada for a while. He played in Ireland for a while. Um you people think so his name's Lachlan Mitchell so everyone thinks yep. they get all get excited and Rebels, think, yep. yeah and then I have to break it to them that no that's that's not my brother um <laughs> but yeah so they all kind of played in the local comps he's the only one who's still playing and then I decided I'd I'd make the Mitchell name even better at Gordon um and so I, I decided to annoy him down at club trainings and stuff as well how absolutely good. Now, did I see correctly on your Insta that you're injured at the moment? Yes. Uh, it's actually really heartbreaking <laughs> at the moment. I managed to um, tear, well, rupture two of the ligaments in the middle of my foot. It's called the Lis Frank. Um, and uh, apparently it's a really bad injury to have. It essentially just means you can't walk for a very long time. So luckily... I don't have to have surgery, which is really nice, but um, I've been in the moon boot for nine weeks now. Ooh, uh, and the, the surgeon is hoping that I can start weaning my way out of it and start walking properly soon. But it's about a 12 month, nine to 12 month recovery time. Um, and I managed to rupture it in the last game of our first tournament of the season. So I have to, I'm going to be biding my time until I get onto the field again. <laughs> right. You'll be heading out down the coaching path pretty soon and bossing them all around, I can imagine. Uh, yeah, I'm doing, I can't even do the, I can't even run on the waters at the moment. I just stand on the sideline looking really sad. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, why don't we go from that feeling of sadness into a feeling of joy and chat about so many of the good things about Super W Rugby. It's been a pretty awesome competition to watch over the last, uh, 
10 days, week and a bit. And what we thought we'd start with, because look, neither Mitch and I are experts at this point about women's rugby. Um, we're trying to learn more about it. We're trying to immerse ourselves more within the game. But we wanted to give ourselves an opportunity, now that you're on with us, as the local expert, might we say, about women's rugby, and just ask some really basic questions that, I mean, Mitch and I have done some research and may know the answers to, but some of our listeners may not. So why don't we start off? Um, it was noticeable that some of the teams throughout the competition had what seemed like more preparation than others. So do you know the amount of preparations that the players have had as individuals and a squad coming into this competition? Um, look, I know that the Waratahs girls get a lot of time together. Um, they've been in training for, oh, I think they were, they were, they did started pre-season training last year Um around November, December, and they've been training pretty much on and on, on and off um, since then. So they've been together for a really long time. It helps that, you know, a lot of the Waratahs girls play for the same teams. Um, so you've got girls who all play for Sydney Uni, so they're playing together all, the, all throughout the year. Um, there's another few girls, um, Arabella McKenzie um, and Jordan Friedrichs play together at East. So you've got clumps of players that play together at their team. So, you know, you've got a lot of the girls from Sydney Uni in the team in that back line. Um, so it really helps them come together. And I know it's similar for the Reds. Uh, they've been, been preparing and training for a long time as well. Uh, it's a different story for the likes of the Rebels and the Force um, and those teams. And Presidents 15, they kind of got the call up you know, two weeks before the tournament even started. Um, they were kind of just a team that was put together uh, with a ragtag tag bunch of girls who, you know, are on that, they're, they're kind of on that next step to Super W level and are quite talented, but can't quite get into the Waratahs or the Reds teams. You, you've got a lot of talent in those two bases. Uh, so it's really hard for those girls to break through. So it was really good to see their inclusion. Mm. Um, they, they did really well, you know, after two weeks and they drew their first game of the force. And then they, a few days later, they beat, who they beat? The Brumbies. Yep. Um, yep. And so, you know, it, it goes to show there's a, there's a lot of talent uh, around the place. It's just, you give them a bit more time together and who, who knows where they'd, they'd come in that competition. And that so, yeah. kind of leads in really well to the next question, which um, Mitch and I found the answer to this out like a few days ago and were shocked. Are Super W players paid? Well, yeah, not really. Not a lot. Um, if they are, it's definitely not a, a living wage. Uh, so a lot of those girls were, they took time out from work to go up to Coffs Harbour um, to play which is kind of what happens in a lot of sport. Uh, like a lot of, at least these days, NRLW, AFLW, Super Netball, um, they're, they're pushing the boundaries. And, and, you know, these girls are playing and, and they're now full-time professional athletes. Super W isn't quite there yet. There are some girls who are earning a bit more of a wage, especially if you're a Wallaroos squad member. Um, but for the rest of them, it is very much, um, you know, they're, they're, they're turning up for the love of the game um, to go to that next level and to, yeah, to embrace the sport. Um, but yeah, a lot of them would have taken time out, which is what the issue was with the force team, you know, borders were closing in yep. WA and they had to make that heartbreaking decision that they had to go home and abandon the competition because they didn't know if they could get home to their family 
or get home to work, which was, you know, the crux of the issue. They, they don't get money, they don't get paid. So they had to go back home and, and go to work. So um, hopefully, you know, hopefully with the growth of this competition and more people watching it and, you know, doing podcasts like this, the girls will start getting more, more money and, and that can become their, their career. That would be the hope. I mean, we were, a lot of the chat that was going around Twitter and rugby circles was very, very understanding towards the situation that the force found themselves in. And yeah, it was a hard decision, but everybody understood it. I mean, the amount that they're having to sacrifice to at least participate in a competition, let alone have to go through a two week quarantine period afterwards if they did decide to stay. Uh, So yeah, there was a lot of, um, uh, what's the right word? People understood. People understood the reasoning behind it. Yeah. And I think there were no hard feelings. Now, a really simple question. Uh, women or girls? How do we refer to the players? Um, I guess that's down to them. Um, I, I, for myself personally, I don't necessarily get, un- like, I don't, I don't get upset if someone refers to the, the team that I play in as girls or anything. But I guess, yeah, I, Look, to stay on the safe side, women. Mm-hmm. It's the, the easiest way to go about it. They are women. They're not 16-year-old girls. They're not 14-year-old girls. They're all 18 to 30-year-old women who are out there playing. And, you know, it's like, I mean, maybe you will go around and you go, oh, good work, boys, and stuff like that, but they're, they're men. So yeah. um, I guess the, the easiest option is just to say they're the women. They're the women's team. Um, and even even though even just taking away the the label of um, the sex from the, the sport. I don't see any issue in just labeling them as the Waratahs. And if someone goes, oh, who? You go, oh, the women. Yeah. Yep. But I mean, that's just another step towards yeah. where we're heading. And, and we're going to get to that point very, very soon. Uh, so yeah, one, one thing I wanted to say on that topic, it's sort of like the World Cup, World Rugby last year or the year before took away the actual men's and women's names before the World Cup. So it's just Rugby World Cup 2027 or Rugby World Cup 2022. I think the next one is now. Well, yeah, so. I think they're still labeling it 2021, but yeah, yeah, next year now. But yeah, so yeah, uh, they made that decision two years ago, I think now. And yeah, they're sticking with it. And, you know, it's all those those comments. Oh, but how are you going to know who's playing? And it's like, well, can you count to four? Um, it's pretty simple. Um, yeah. You're not going to show up to the wrong event. No. <laughs> and if you do, you'd have a great time anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> New South Wales won again on Saturday. They've won it many, many times. Some might even say every time, every year that it's been in place. So watching the games, it's super clear and that the Waratahs team is a cut above. Even though the Queensland Revs have some really good moments, the Waratahs seem more well-drilled, more professional, fitter, faster, stronger. Um, And I'm not saying that just because I'm wearing a Waratahs uh, jersey right now, although I am, but it's it's just the truth of the matter. So the question that I want to ask is, what is, in your mind, the primary difference that's leading to this Waratahs outfit being so significantly ahead of the rest of the pack? And then what can other teams be doing to try and catch up oh it's really hard I think one of the the main draw cards for the Waratahs is the the Jack Scott Cup which is uh Sydney's shoot the women's version of shoot shield so you're getting the best players in the state are coming to Sydney to play in that competition um and then you also have girls who who are coming from other states who want to play in that competition um I don't know how true it is, but I have heard that 
um, Wallaroos coaches and uh, New South and coaches in Sydney have told players out of interstate players that their best chance is to come to Sydney and play in Jack Scott's Cup. So when you have that um, aspect, you're going to be you're going to be creating a stronger team. Um, I think another point is like we said, the Waratahs have been training together for months. They uh, the Waratahs season launch at the start of the Super Rugby season. They already had their Waratahs squad together. They'd already been training together for a long time. And even though they weren't quite sure when the season was going to happen, they were there. They were already in training throughout that whole period. So that's what February until June. So that's four months worth of training under their belts. Um, Whereas other teams just don't don't get that. You know, as much as the Rebels and the Force are bringing their squads together, it's there's, it's not as um, structured, well-structured as the Waratahs. And I'm, I'm not sure if that's just, you know, do they have to create a... Well, I mean, for one, you're going to have to create stronger club competitions. So Melbourne and Perth are going to have to create stronger club competitions to compete. Um, and then I guess it's also just, you know, hoping they that those competitions retain their players. Because if you're getting a lot of your most talented players moving to Sydney to play for New South Wales, uh, no other club, no other team's really going to have a chance to compete, yep. um, which is what we're seeing. Yep. So you've already touched on this point then a little bit. But the next question was around the idea of like you have a magic wand and the wand can make changes to the game of rugby within Australia to benefit uh, the women's rugby. What changes would you be making that are kind of realistic and sustainable within the landscape that is Australian rugby? So maybe it's not that magic after all. Maybe it's like a (laughs) semi-magic wand. Um, If I was in charge. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Put yourself yourself there. Yeah, yeah, it's still a bit hard. Um, I mean, I guess it all comes down to money in the end, really. That's, I mean, the crux of everyone's issue, I guess. How much money do we have? Um, For the women's game, it's, it's not quite there yet um and i think we're seeing that there has been a lot of improvement in skills and things like that just through the generation of super w um so yeah if we if we, we were to put more money in i think one of our issues is that we had to grow 15s of the game sevens is massive um and you'll see a lot of the girls in those squads across between sevens and 15s so oh, I think I've just completely moved away from the question. What would I do with a <laughs> magic wand? What would you do? What would you do? Yeah. Um, I guess one thing would be suggesting to some particular coaches in Sydney, try not to poach players from other states. <laughs> yep. It's not really the best for the game. Uh, it yep. doesn't help if you're trawling through uh, Brisbane comps and telling the best girls up there to come down here. Um, same too with a few girls who are in Perth and, and Melbourne. It's probably not the, the best way to help grow the game is to minimal, minimise what they've got in their structures. Um, and I guess it's it's creating the best coaches, which is something that they are doing. They have been increasing the amount of females. Um, they want to build a, a stronger um, coaching group in uh, women so there's they're doing the right things um and like what i'm saying I'm, i don't want to take away from what rugby australia and and what um a lot of the boards are doing because they are trying to implement these changes and to do these things and they're they're things that are going to take a really long time to um really 
bear fruit, as I say. Um, but, oh, yeah, I guess that's kind of what you can really do at this moment. If it's not a magic wand that's actually that magical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? I, I kind of um, boxed you in a little bit there with yeah, the semi-magic yeah, my... wand, but that's okay. Yeah, hands behind my back on that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mitch, you had a question, mate. Uh, we've seen through talk in the media, the Shoot Shield at the moment, they're talking about uh, introducing minimum requirements for teams moving forward for participation next year. One of those is around having four grades and, and two Colts teams at least. Another uh, criteria is that each team to be compared, to be in Shoot Shield needs to have a women's team. Do you think that that's conducive to the development of the women's game or is that sort of um, maybe pushing it a little bit too far by maybe muddying the talent a little bit? Um, I actually, when I heard about that news about the minimum requirements, that was probably the only thing that I, I really um, was happy about. Yep. Uh, a lot of the clubs have gone off their own backs. Like Gordon, 2019, they introduced the 15s team. Um, who else recently? Uh, the Rats have always been there. Uni's always been there. Um, Campbelltown. I think brought their team back. So there's some teams that are doing what they can. Um, but I think this is actually a really good step that the Shoot Shield clubs have introduced. Um, I'm not a fan of the other points that they brought mm -hmm. in to, to the minimum requirement, but back to your muddying the waters kind of thing. I think what would really benefit the Jack Scott Cup would be to uh move some of the players that so you've got like super teams so like sydney uni the women's team is essentially a super team you could look through that team and they've got like 10 12 wallaroos players in that team yeah. um so and are they recently at the start of the season there was another club that wanted to um join jack scott cup and were told that uh they didn't have uh the right requirements so they couldn't so Sydney Uni approached them and, and told the girls that if they wanted to play, they should come play with Sydney Uni. So they brought in a whole new group of girls. Um, and you've got the likes of East and stuff like that who are quite strong. And I think a lot of the girls do tend to move around a lot. And I think it would be great if, you know, the two Blues are a really good team. If, you know, if you brought Eastwood were to create a 15 team, it would be great if we saw some girls move out there and just help build the, these teams. That's exactly what Gordon did. They went out and they essentially poached um, quite a, a few talented girls. And th so far this season, it, it's um, it's actually done really well for them. They, they're on track for their first finals appearance. So, you know, last year they didn't win a single game. This year they're hopefully um, going to make a, a finals appearance. And I think that's kind of the best way to help the clubs um, grow and help women's sport. I think it would be really good, especially out West. If West Harbour had a 15th team, they've got sevens teams. Eastwood's got a sevens team. It'd be great if they had a 15th team. Um, Manly's got multiple sevens teams. It'd be great if they had 15. So they've all got the structures. They've all got the girls who want to play. It's just trying to convert some girls from sevens to 15s and, and make them really excited to play that as well. 
I think what we might do now is shift across into the matches from the weekend now that we've covered just some of the basics about the women's game. And even though we've gone into a lot of detail there, which is fantastic because it's just helping to build our knowledge and our understanding. And over the weekend, we had the finals of the Super W competition for 2021. And it was finished off by an absolutely fantastic game between the Waratahs women and the Queensland Reds. And the Waratahs again got up got out on top. Um, I think what we might do is start at the top and then work our way down. So we'll start with the Waratahs and the Reds game. Um, I, I've said it before, but I have been super impressed with the ability of the Waratahs women to, well, I should just say the Waratahs, to play with such pace and accuracy, particularly within the back line. Some of the crispness of the passing out in front of the player so they're running onto it. The speed of Maya Stewart on the wing was just absolutely electric and awesome to watch. And there was just so much that I was loving watching this game going, damn, I suffered through 13 Waratahs men's defeats this season. I need to watch me some more women's games. This is fantastic <laughs> to get involved with. Um, Britt, what was your kind of takeaway from that uh, grand final of grand finals? I think what really um, what was really interesting for me was just how strong they were at set piece. Um their line out was just was I, I missed the first few minutes, but I, I, the line out was just so good, and they pinched so many balls, and they really made the Reds struggle. And then at scrum time, like at one stage, they were just bloody backtracking the Reds five meters down the pitch. They were that strong, and you know when you have a set piece that strong, it makes your whole it, it sets it up for the whole rest of your team. Once you get the set piece together, then you get the back line working. And so when the when they're tracking the, the reds down the field in their, their scrum and then they get the ball out and you've got Arabella McKenzie just managing to move the ball around and they had a really great vision. They could see the gaps and they, they knew how to create the gaps um, and they, they did that really well. And then they knew that they had the speed on the edges to just burn them through the middle. And one person who didn't really get a chance to really shine too much in the grand final was Mahali Murphy. And I think coming from sevens to fifteens, I think we really get to see where her talent is. She's a really strong defender. And then when she gets a chance of the ball, she she got um coming down the sideline, she she got a little inside pass and bang. So like it, there was no one could catch her because she's that quick. Um, she's an actually really impressive player. Um, but yeah, I think there was quite a few girls on that that field who were really like who are really who are really strong. I inv- like I even wrote down like heaps of names because I was like I'm gonna forget who really like really stood up. But um, yeah, it's just it was really fun to watch, and that doesn't take away from the Reds. They they really stuck it to them. I think going into that game, they would have been really pumped up. Um, and they, like every time they go go to face the Tars, I think they would have been really pumped up and really um, determined that this time was a time that, that they can beat the, the Tars, I reckon, because the first round they came out really slow off the blocks, yep. and this time they made sure that that wasn't going to happen, mm-hmm. um, and they, they stuck it to the Tars for a good 30, yeah. 35 it minutes. Is. Um, you know, there was a good 15-minute segment where the Tars were stuck in the Reds' half, mo- mainly in the Reds' 22, and just couldn't get through. 
um, the Reds really, really put some pressure on and, and made them work really hard. It was just unfortunate that they couldn't hold on to that pressure for the rest of the game. Um, pretty much once the second half kicked off, you could see that the Tars would just were just going to find a way to, to get through. And once they did, it was kind of opening the floodgates, really. You could see it with the try to Patu in the fourth minute for the Reds. The excitement and the enthusiasm, and they were so, so fired up within that moment. You just thought the okay, this is game on. Yeah. This is going to be a, a tightly fought contest. And you know, it, you're right, for the first half it was, despite the kind of finishing scoreline being, what is it, 5, 10, 15, like 19, 19 5 at halftime. 19, yeah. 5, yeah. yeah. Um, so despite the scoreline, it felt a lot closer in the field, but then definitely broke away yeah. within the second half. Mm, definitely. And it's a, yeah, it's unfortunate. People might look at the scoreline and think, oh, it was all one-way traffic the Tars had it their way, but um, that wouldn't be true to how the game was played. I think the Reds were in it for a lot of that time. And even when, you know, when the Tars started to get away um, with the, with the game, they didn't, they didn't step back. They didn't let, they didn't make it easy. Um, or they didn't let it be easy. They made sure that the Tars had to work for every point. Um, and that's all you can ask for in these games. It's just a bit unfortunate that, um, you know, four seasons yeah. in the Tars have gone undefeated for this whole time yeah, um yeah it would be nice to see like just a, a just someone get over the top of them and and just make it a bit more competitive yeah definitely mitch was there anything you wanted to say on that match before we shift on yeah similar to what you were saying before ando just that the the reds really came out firing in that first few minutes and that try to to the hooker was just it just showed their intent and that they had clearly spoken about starting well because they came out and they they were really fired up when they scored that try and they put uh, New South Wales New South Wales under a lot of pressure in that first half. Um, it was unfortunate, as we said, that, that it sort of ran away from them at the end there. I think what we might do is head to the next game and well, actually the previous game, which was the Brumbies and the Rebels, with the Brumbies just edging out the Rebels in an absolute thriller. So the Rebels take the lead in a 78th minute off a penalty kick and then give away a penalty, a ruck penalty in front of their own sticks about uh, off the resulting kickoff for the Brumbies to then get the conversion and edge it out. It was absolutely incredible to watch. Um, I was just super impressed with the physicality of the Brumbies pack. I mean, I could be talking about the men here. The similarities between <laughs> the teams are fantastic. Um, just there was this really hard-nosed edge to it, which is absolutely, absolutely wonderful to see. But again, it was that idea of just doing a hard work up front to lay the platform out wide. And we did see some really good attempts to fling it out wide. Um, I was really impressed with this game. I think... It obviously didn't, in my mind, match the intensity and skill of the grand grand final, if we're going to call it that. Uh, but it was still an enjoyable encounter. Britt, what were some of your takeaways from that match? Um, well, you've caught me out. I actually haven't had time to watch that game. <laughs> there was a lot of rugby on yeah, yesterday. There was. <laughs> I haven't had a chance either. I haven't had a chance. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to catch up. But um, I have to say there is one of the girls in the Brumbies team who plays for Gordon. And um, I know that she's had a really great season so far well had a really great season for super w um but like you said I, I did see them earlier in the competition and i think they would have been very upset that they let it slip against president's 15 um as you said they're, they're 
very physical up front. And I think it was, it's really good to see that the Rebels were really competitive. I think um, a lot of the teams probably um, underestimate them a little bit, but they came out firing and they were determined to, you know, give one back to the Brumbies uh, because the Brumbies have run over them a few times before. Um, but I think it's fantastic that, you know, we had a game that went down to the final minutes and it, and it took that final kick to really seal the deal for the Brumbies. It's pretty exciting and, it, and it's uh, great for the competition. And why don't we then shift across into the first match of the weekend, but the final one that we're going to be chatting about in this segment, which was the President's 15 versus the Super W Select side. So basically, this was a team of players who was cobbled together with about like 48 hours notice when the force had to pull out. So the fact that the Super W Select side got away with a miraculous win against the President's 15 is just such a, a great story and a wonderful experience for those players um but now Britt, before i throw you in it did you have a chance to check out this one i've seen some <laughs> yes. <of it>. okay. <laughs> sorry so, guys <laughs> no 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 that's so that's so okay i um am not one of those people who stayed up like all night last night watching every single match as well so i focused on the women's stuff this weekend personally um i saw the japan island game so if we want to talk about that <laughs> that was a awesome. bloody good game actually the oh, i just want japan to become a world power within rugby they're so so Just interesting don't beat the wallabies <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know that's that's pretty worrying isn't it um i reckon they'd smash us if they played us but anyway um going back into the super w side of things uh i was really really impressed with this match um particularly you had uh jemima mccallman on the wing for the president's 15 is that ben benny Kalman's uh sister i think it is Benny McCarman. Anyway, who cares? Um, either way, she was fantastic. One of those players who just has that pace and that natural ability to just step and get around the outside, but also just loves the physical stuff and smashing into those rucks and into the tackles as well. So she was somebody that was really, really keen to see. Um, but also the hooker for the President's 15, I can't remember her first name, but Trebojevic, she is an absolute nugget and so good over the ball as a jackal. I just loved every single time she gets her head over the ruck, she's coming away with the ball or is slowing it down. And there was one point where something, something happened at the bottom of a ruck and she came out wanting to swing at the fist going. And I just love seeing that passion and intensity. And it took a couple of the teammates to pull her aside and go, breathe, breathe, come back to us, come back to us, get the red mist going, get the red. And it was just great to see that competitiveness and that kind of killer instinct. So she's someone to keep an eye on moving forward. It was an awesome performance from her um but congratulations to laurie kramer for stepping up and nailing the final penalty goal that gave the select side the victory um i think we'll kind of move on from there mitch anything you want to say on that one no we're good good i didn't get a chance to see that one either okay cool (laughs) well i was just about to say are you talking about me mitch again (laughs) i was going to say there was a few girls in the president's 15 who uh, have been really impressive this whole tournament i think the one of the girls who really stood out for me and who I've been trying to find out more information about throughout the competition, Hannah Lane. Um, she's the seven for the President's 15. And if you see her over the ball, she's just this, she's a small, petite little girl. Yep. But over the ball, it's kind of like David Pocock-esque. Yep. She's straight over, hands on the ball, and almost impossible to, to take off. And she won, she's won so many penalties, and she's won so many balls back 
through that work and you know she's the one that stood out in my mind and I reckon she's only young I think she's only 19 20 years old she'll be definitely I reckon she should be in the Wallaroos frame and there was a few other girls out there that really stood up there's a 13 out there whose name has just completely escaped Jasmine Jasmine I'm trying to look it up right now. I'm typing it in right now because she's been standing yeah. out. So you keep going and say what you like about yeah. her. Yeah, well, because I, I know that um, I'm pretty certain she plays for the Two Blues in Sydney and she, uh, I'm going to be honest, first game, I kind of wrote her off a bit. I think she made a few little, uh, just not the right playmaking decisions, she, you know, put kept ball in hand when she should have been giving it out to her wing. Think Little things like that that I really at, at first have been like, oh, are we going to have another player like this? You know, she needs to make the right decisions. But as the competition went on, I think she really uh, had her head in the game a bit more, um, really knew what she was doing. Maybe the pressure of the first game going out there with not a whole lot of preparation just kind of got to her in that first game. But as the comp went on, um, yeah, she really stood out. She, I think she made a couple of little grubbers that turned into tries. She scored a few tries herself. Um, yeah, she was really impressive. And I, I think she's also another one that should be on a lot of people's radars. It's just there's so many talented girls that you watch and you go, oh, she should be on the radar. And then you're thinking to yourself, man, it's this huge. squad's going to be yeah. massive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, just so I, I'm, I'm making sure that we're talking about the same person. Um, shorter hair, lots of tats? Yes. Yeah, good. Okay. I'm trying to find a name right now. It's so hard because it's hard she to find the proper team list. Yeah, she came off the bench in the first game. Yeah, yep. Um, and it started the next couple, and I don't think yeah. she started in the final. Yeah, but she's she yeah she grabbed my attention. She, at first, it was for the bad for the bad things, but then she turned it around, and now she's one of my favorites. So, <laughs> <laughs> how good, how good. All right, well, why don't we shift across now into some of the hot takes which have come up over the last uh, forty eight hours or so, and why don't we dive straight into? And we're speaking with the perfect person here, actually. The kind of debacle and the the acrimony that's around the Walrus coach Dwayne Nestor resigning from his position um so and as well as assistant coach matt tink so brit you happen to be the journalist who broke this story so how fantastic that we have you on the pod can you for those of us who may not have heard the news just kind of explain a little bit about what's going on and kind of the impact that it might have for the Wallaroos? yeah um it's, it's still crazy to me that I <laughs> broke the story, but um, well, essentially what happened was during that uh, grand final game yesterday and I, um, between the Tars and the Reds, Dwayne and his assistant, Matt Tink, were sitting together and um, as most, most coaches do, they make comments over the general play, um, players and things like that, but it turns out that they were making a lot of derogatory comments um, you know, C-bomb dropping a few times in describing certain players. Um, and at one instance, they were, uh, I guess, commenting on a player's mental health and, um, and things like that. I don't want to, obviously don't want to specify the player mm-hmm. or what exactly was said, because I don't yep. think that's appropriate at all. Um, but yeah, so it's actually really disappointing. Um, that things like that have happened you know of course coaches are going to comment on you know general play if players are dropping the ball things like that obviously that's that's fine but when you start you know commenting on that particular person in such derogatory ways and then 
you know, making comments about mental health issues and things like that. It's, it's completely inappropriate. Um, one of the, the, the best things that happened was that Rugby Australia got on mm-hmm. the front foot straight away. They sent out a press release pretty quickly. And I think that, I think they could have easily slept yeah. it on, under the rug. Um, I don't think a lot of people would have known what had happened. Um, but they got on the front foot straight away, sent out a statement to people straight away, just letting everyone know that they took the decision straight away to stand them down. And it was um, Dwayne Nesta and Matt Tink's decision to resign straight away. Um, and they left Coffs Harbour um, pretty soon afterwards and returned home. Dwayne's from Perth and uh, I'm pretty sure Matt Tink's out from Central Western Sydney, uh, Central West New South Wales. Um, uh, the unfortunate thing is that the girls heard it. They yeah. heard the comments. It was all on recording while they were recording the grand final and the, the grand final uh, and the footage automatically went into their server for review. And um, a lot of the girls heard the comments that were made about them and um, they were uh, rightly so very upset and very disappointed. A lot of them would have worked under Dwayne for the last few years. He came in as well coach in 2019 or maybe, yeah, 2019, maybe 2018. Um, and uh, I think uh, that would have been really upsetting to hear those kind of comments um, from what I've heard though there's not a lot of love lost between some of the players and the coach. So um, things like that are really unfortunate. And it, and it's really unfortunate for the Wallaroos that, you know, it's kind of just on top of other bad news. A few weeks, like a week ago, they found out that their, their test matches against Samoa had been um, cancelled yep. or postponed. And the Rugby Australia get to announce if they've got test matches later in the year. Um, so, you know, they, they haven't played since 2019. They've had a whole year. The Wallaroos haven't played a test since 2019. Um, and then this kind of happens and the, the World Cup's been pushed back to next year. So it's it's kind of one thing on top of the other for these girls. So I guess... Moment. Mm. Which I think. Okay, so I guess you go, you go, what happens next for the Wallaroos? Obviously, they'll go through a period of rebuilding and trying to allocate a new coach and a new set of coaches and that kind of thing. But with there no real, uh, apart from the Women's World Cup that's meant to go ahead at the end of next year, there's nothing else really on the horizon for the Wallaroos at the moment. So what what is the process next? Mm. Well, so as you said, they're obviously going to have to start looking for a new coach. And, and they said in their statement yesterday that they're already, you know, starting that process, which would be really good. And it would be really great if they got someone in quickly. Um, before Super W started, it was known that they were going to announce the Wallaroo squad mm. for this Samoa series um, today. That was meant to happen today or tomorrow. Uh, that's unlikely to happen. I assume if they if they don't have a test series coming up, um, and then you know it's just it's really hard for these girls. You know they've been holding onto this idea that all right, well the test series is there's a test series coming that's been pushed back. Um, there's potentially a test series coming at the end of the year, but we don't really know yet. And then this World Cup's been pushed back even further. It'd yeah. be really disheartening, really. Like mm-hmm. you're sitting around, you're waiting. Um, some of the girls like Grace Hamilton um, took up contra- contracts in the NRLW last season just to, you know, keep yeah. keep playing to get some more games under their belt, just stay fit. Um, 
but you know that's not the solution for all of them uh and it yeah it would be really hard to really get yourself up get yourself excited when there's all these setbacks um hopefully they have someone ra find someone soon that would be really good and it'd be really good to get the girls together into another camp soon they did a camp earlier this year where they took about 40 girls down to canberra um and they but the issue again falls back on they have to take time out for work so mm-hmm. when they have these camps they yep. take, they have about three four days because they they can't go away for two weeks yep you know there's all those issues and is that so the, would they be receiving pay for attendance at that camp yes my okay yeah. but it wouldn't yeah. be particularly uh significant no it wouldn't be you know like the wallabies players up oh, of course not. at the moment no 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 no, no. <laughs> um okay well obviously there's a huge need for action and change there and just hearing the difficulty that they haven't played a game since 2019 um and it is hugely disconcerting and concerning moving forward for their hopes for the 2022 world cup uh but why don't we move to something that does have a bit more certainty which is the olympic sevens we've had the announcement of both the men and women's teams and there's been some pretty big inclusions and omissions there so the first thing that we might just touch on is chloe dalton so absolutely devastatingly chloe dalton received a significant cheek fracture um whilst playing up the oceania sevens tournament in townsville and so she has put out a pretty um understandably emotional uh post just detailing the injury and what that means for her so she will be not won't have the time to recover from that and get back in time for the Olympics. So uh, commiserations go out towards Chloe. She's a fantastic person. And um, the Stan Sport piece that they did with her and Ros Kelly really gave you some good insight into her as a person and as a player. And so that's just like heartbreaking to have such a major injury, cruel her hopes there. Um, and she's actually going off to AFLW as part of the Great Western Sydney Giants um, at the end of the year. So we're going to be losing her for the foreseeable future from at least uh, Sevens Rugby unless she comes back in in some of the smaller comps later on. Um, but why don't we get to some of the big names who have been omitted and the main one that everybody is talking about is Elliot Green. So, Britt. Give us your thoughts. Give us your hot takes. Give us your opinions on this omission from the Olympic Sevens. Well, it's interesting. I mean, uh, it's it was a massive shock finding out. She's one of the biggest names of the team. You you think Rugby Sevens, you think Charlotte Kaslik, and you think Elia Green. Um, she was huge at the 2016 Rio Olympics and she's been really big for them over the last few years. But reading... Uh, well, hearing what John Menenti had to say about why he made that decision, um, I can kind of see where he's come from. When uh, when I first heard that she had missed the squad, my my thoughts did go back to, well, the last few outings, she hasn't quite been that speedy presence that she has previously. Like, there's no denying that she's a great defender, um, she makes some massive solid hits and she run, still runs the ball quite well and into contact. But the issue is that her game, it, what, what her presence is meant to be is to be that speedy wing down the side. And unfortunately, we haven't seen that of her lately. She has just come back from an knee injury um, and she's been working really hard to get back there. But as he said, it, it, he, she hasn't quite got 
back to those levels that she has previously and and in the end that's it's kind of why she didn't get selected it's still really upsetting and it's Mm. really shit as she says um not to get there but I can kind of understand where Menenti's come from I think it's still a bit of a gamble not taking her um she is still one of the strongest players in the team even if she isn't as fast as what she used to be um like I was talking to my mate the other day and I made a comment that she loves contact like she'll be running the ball and it's almost like she'll see someone like a meter to away and instead of trying to run around them she goes oh i might just go through them so she kind of steps into them to like no you can't tackle me and like hits them before they can hit her and you're like oh okay this is really interesting but like so she's one of those kind of players that she's really really exciting to watch and she can turn a game on its head she gets a ball a bit into space and and she can win you the game just you know a few meters out wide in the gap and she's running you know 90 meters away for a try um so it's an interesting decision especially they, they've got usa in their pool who uh we all know are quite strong and that um they're a bigger team than what the the aussie girls are so to take away a player that is known for being quite physical and strong and strong in tackles um yeah, it's an interesting decision, but I mean, there's 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 only so many people you can put on the plane, and he's just had to make that decision. Yeah, and the good thing about it is that he he completely owned it, um, and he was very upfront about the reasoning. And Elia Green, whilst obviously being devastated about the omission, has also within her um, kind of public statement on Instagram was accepting of the decision even if she was heartbroken about it so uh huge commiserations go out to her as well and um, maybe she'll still be going along as a 13th player potentially Mm -hmm. so that that might well be an option too but let's see now mitch i might throw it over to you now mate um samu karevi samu karevi has made the men's seven squad uh don't see tim anstey's name there either so (laughs) sorry to all the force fans that don't have conspiracy be just kind of barracking the whole time it's a conspiracy (laughs) i'm sure (laughs) <laughs> I won't shout out the Force fans. I reckon we'll probably be going down that path. Um, but uh, what do you reckon yeah, about I, Sam um, I was a bit inclusion? surprised by it, to be to be completely honest. Um, I thought he played quite decently in the Oceania Sevens the other week, but I don't think he did anything that really, for me personally, stood out as as taking a spot over one of the other players that's sort of been in that squad for the last few years and really sort of worked at it. Um, he he's got good rugby knowledge, so. He knows the game, but he knows 15s. So sevens is a completely different sport. And the first game he played, I don't want to be too disrespectful to him because if he ran at me, I wouldn't be too happy. But he didn't look all that fast. He looked a little bit um, unfit or a little bit sort of just taking his time to adapt to the to the the tempo of sevens. He hasn't had a whole lot of time in this in this format. So I was quite surprised to see him get that inclusion over someone else. Well, I think that's all we really need to say on that kind of topic. Um, what we might do now is jump across into the locker room because um, we've had some pretty good questions come on in. And why don't we start with this one from Jack O'Rourke. And Mitch, I might keep this one with you because we've already heard Brit's thoughts about this kind of thing. Uh, he asked, how does Super W go to the next level and keep all these great players in a code instead of jumping ship? NRLW is in the middle of recruiting for their oh, expansion team. It's a really teams. tough question because... What I would ideally love to see is probably not feasible and not possible. So 
we spoke a little bit about it last week, but I would love to see a Super W competition that rivals Super Rugby AU. So we have the same five teams as the men. We play, uh, well, the women play the opposite fixtures as the men. So when the Waratahs are playing the, the, the Queensland Reds up in Brisbane, the New South Wales Waratahs women's team play and host the Reds women in Sydney. But... Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. just like trying to get right. it all out there. I'm like, I'm like, I'm confusing myself as I say it, but I, I do just want to point out. So this year, because they did the the curtail competition, they will be returning next year to their regular home and away comp, um, which is great. So it's similar to what you're suggesting in the sense that they do that. Um, yeah, which is what they did originally in 2018 yeah, when cool. they first launched the season, and you know, pre-game they did the curtain raiser kind of thing where the Waratahs would play the Reds before the Waratahs Super Rugby game. So I mean, they're on track. No, that, that kind of stuff. I, I was Sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah, that was my that was one helpful. of the questions I was going to throw to you at the end. But my only fears for that was that maybe like we saw this year, that there's not the money there to pay the players to contribute. So you can't expect them to contrib- to take time off work for 10 weeks to play at a professional competition when they're not getting reimbursed for it. So I could understand from a player welfare perspective that they just may not be viable with the money that's currently available to the women's team. Mm, I think it would, it would end up being similar to like AFLW where it's a semi-professional setup for the 12 weeks or something so they'd still work and train and then on the weekend friday friday saturday sunday they'd play kind of situation um but yeah i know i know what you're saying it's just really hard um i think the girls would really appreciate to go back to the home and away season which they'd been doing previously and it'd be fantastic if they Mm. keep that president's 15 in make it a six six game comp or six team comp um and do stuff like that i think that would be really helpful for the competition and, and help the the growth for the women's the women's game that'll be an interesting one because where i mean the sounds of things at the moment is that we're going to have fiji and drua come into super au if that's the model that we go down it's not yet confirmed um and so i wonder if the drua would provide their own women's team or if there would be the president's 15 kind of playing as the fijian drua's kind of women's team um that'd be an interesting one to see but i guess it all depends on a what super rugby looks like next year because that's not even nailed in stone yet um but it's good to hear that they are wanting to return back to that regular uh, home and away series because it just provides that continuity and that extended period of semi-professionalism because as much as like I like what's happened over the last couple of weeks we up at Coffs Harbour it yeah. it's only like a two-week period and yeah. that's just not long enough for combinations to get settled not no. they, they played three games plus a final so they played four games and even in the Waratahs played three because they had the um, a yeah. buy against the force who had to go home it's just yeah. it's just not enough games. So at least this is more opportunity for them to be playing at a high level or a good level, a high level um, over a longer period of time. Especially if you're, you know, girls in the Tars or the Reds team who have been training nonstop for five, six, seven months, and then you go in and you play three games, and a lot of them would have been banking on, you know, those Wallaroos yeah. tests coming up, and now they're gone. Uh, so they've done a lot of training, and there's not been a whole lot of reward so far. So. Yep. Well, that actually covers the next question from Hugh Tyndall, who was asking, can we play Super W games as curtain raises as a Super AU? So your understanding, Britt, is that will be happening next year, Not depending upon the format of the Super Comp? 
not necessarily. It, it, they want to return. So the reasoning behind why they went to this comp structure this year was because um, they wanted to get the Aon Uni 7s out of the door yeah. before the Olympics. And then originally the World Cup was going to be based at the end of the year. So they were going to do Aon Unis and then they wanted Super W in there and it had to be a really curtailed format so that they could get the players together, get the sevens together, get that all done, go to the Olympics and then go into the World Cup. Um, the World Cup was pushed back. So it was great to Rugby Australia and those girls because now there's a bit more time um, and COVID was always going to play an issue in all of this. Um, but yeah, so talking to Jilly Collins a few weeks ago, Jilly Collins uh, is Rugby Australia, um, the women's um, head of the women's game. And she was saying that next year, that's the plan. They're going back to the home and away season. I'm not sure if that necessarily means curtain raiser kind mm -hmm. of games. They mm -hmm. haven't they haven't necessarily done that previously. They have done some games where they played um, before TARS games and things like that. But a lot of other games they've just played, you yeah. know, just a start of a footy game um, and things like that. So, yeah, it would be great if they're curtain raisers, but there's this going to cricket, but they did a lot of research into the, the WBBL and they found that um, the WBBL games played as curtain raisers before big bash games didn't actually garner as much interest or uh, as big a crowd yeah. as if they were just standalone games. So I oh, think that's okay. something that should be taken into consideration as well. I think there's quite a lot of people who are growing interested in this game and would love to just go down, would go down just to go see the women's play. I don't think they necessarily yeah. need the men as yeah. the, the hook, so to say. That's a really interesting point. And I think that's a really good answer for that. So thank you, Hugh. And yeah, let's shift across now. This isn't a Super W specific question, but some guy called Tim Never Foster. Who's, who's, who's that guy, Mitch? <laughs> Never heard of him? All right. Well, anyway, um, should the Wallabies introduce a badge system where they make, when they make their debut, they get the Wallabies number on their sleeve. And after 15 tests, they get the Wallabies logo above their number in bronze, 30 tests, silver, 60 tests, gold. And that means they're now eligible to be selected from overseas, which is the Gisso law. Yeah, what do you it's think something of that, I've, that one, um, Mitch? So for Brit who might not understand, Tim is my twin brother for all the people out there as well. So we've spoken about this <laughs> off the pod quite extensively and... It's something that was first introduced in rugby league. So the kangaroos did it a few years ago. Um, they obviously don't have a system like the Gitto law that allows you to go overseas and be selected. But I personally think it's a great idea. I think it's awesome to, first of all, commemorate and, and respect the Wallabies players with their play numbers. It adds a little bit of history to their test um, jerseys. It adds a little bit of, a, I guess uniqueness to the jerseys as well so you know that michael hooper's jerseys is actually michael hooper's jersey because it's got his play number on the sleeve with his test numbers and all that kind of stuff um and then yeah it, it might incentivize some of those younger players who are probably around that cusp of sticking around for the wallabies for a little bit longer or going overseas if they want to try and push up into that next tier particularly if there's something else that it gets you as a player let not just moving into sort of that ghetto law or moving into that sort of like 15 or up test cap selection. Maybe you enter a separate club of Wallabies players or something like that. So, yeah, I just think it's something a little bit different and it, it can't hurt. <laughs> That's what I think. It, it can't hurt. It adds a little bit more prestige. And imagine if like you had the opportunity to kind of get the jersey that a player had been wearing with the 60 logo on, uh, with the 60 yeah. golden. That would just be an awesome commemorative collector's item. To Britt, what's your take on it? I was, I was just about to say, imagine 
um, being on the bench and then, you know, the guy ahead of you is injured so you end up wearing his jersey and he's got all the – and it's your first <laughs> test or something and he's got all, all the yeah, stuff 60 on the test, like, Cats, here, right, here we go. Um, <laughs> Maybe. <do> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, like, like, I, like you said, I mean, there's – like it, there's no harm in it. I mean, what could you really argue that would take away from the Wallabies jersey or anything like that? I think it would be fun. It would be different, and I mean, it could be a, a mem- like a commemorative jersey at the end if they hand out that jersey. You know, might get you a couple hundred, yeah, maybe exactly thousand dollars on the on eBay. <laughs> How good. Well, um, I think we can leave it there. That has been an awesome chat about Super Rugby W. Thank you so much, Britt, for coming on. Now, I just want to be clear, where can people find you if they want to kind of follow you a bit more and look at all that you're doing with ESPN? Uh, so my, ins- oh, my Instagram. No, don't, <laughs> don't follow my Instagram. <laughs> my, my, my Twitter is BrittMitchell11. Uh, yeah, so feel free to follow me there i love having more followers i was just looking the other day and i was like how do i get more this is how you do it Um, so so here we go (laughs) you can always tell me how bad i was but please don't also (laughs) no positive 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 chat podcast thank you team positive chat only positive podcast right here um well again thank you so much for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure to talk all things super rugby w with you and to get your insights and knowledge into it it's been a load of fun and i look forward to chatting with you again soon yeah no it's really fun i another one under the belt and i'm feeling pretty good about myself so hopefully you get some more (laughs) how good well we'll catch you later bye thanks guys see you later all right time for some international chat now so over the weekend there were some pretty big games played around the world we'll go through the scores for each game first and then we'll talk about one or two of them in a little bit more detail so the first game and the biggest talking point for this week is New Zealand beat Tonga 102 points to nil. We then had Ireland, who only just scraped through against Japan 31, uh, 39 to 31. South Africa played their first game in since 2019 World Cup, beating Georgia 40 to 9. Argentina was playing Romania and they came away just 24-17. And then the British and Irish Lions started their, their competition underway in South Africa, beat Playing the Johannesburg Lions, they came away with a victory 56 to 14. Now, Ando, I think the biggest one we need to talk about is the New Zealand and Tonga game. I Have agree. you had a chance to watch or see the highlights of this? I've, I've seen the highlights. Trouncing? I mean, I mentioned at the start of the pod that having two kids at home makes life hard. So I have not caught all the internationals, but I've seen the highlights of New Zealand Tonga. And I watched about the first 40 minutes of Ireland Japan. Uh, yeah. So I think going through New Zealand Tonga, but actually not talking about the game, mm. like the, the rugby that was played as much, but talking about uh, the, the issues around the results and around the game itself. Now, you wanted to kind of start this conversation off with a pretty bold question, didn't you? Yeah, so the first thing I think as rugby fans from anywhere in the world, we all just sit here after a result like this and, and we think, what was the actual purpose of playing a test like this? Was there anyone that actually came away as a winner in this or was this a lose-lose situation for everyone involved? So what what did you think around that point Ando. sorry mate i didn't know if that was rhetorical or not <laughs> <laughs> um around that one i don't oh, look without the european players i don't think there's a point in playing this game against tonga 
because Tonga are a decent side when actually I'd even say they're a good side when they have their European internationals but they didn't they didn't have them so therefore why play this game against the best team in the world or well, okay they're probably what second at the moment New Zealand officially uh, on the South ratings Africa. they're second in the world yeah, but okay you know either, either they way. would yeah Either way, why play New Zealand when you're literally raiding the local competitions of New Zealand to find players in the week before the game? And that that was what was happening. They're pulling people out of like the Bay of Plenty side um, and they're just trying to call up people in the week before the game going, hey, you reckon you can play this week? Against New Zealand. Want to play a test match against New Zealand? It's just insane that that was what Torai Kefu, the coach, is having to do to try and get a team together to play New Zealand. And I I just think that there are no winners in this particular situation. If it was a full-strength Tongan team, sure. Okay, cool. Yes, play it. Good. No worries. But it wasn't. And so I just... I don't know, man. I don't. I don't see the value in it. I think it devalues the match entirely when you get scorelines like this. Yeah, exactly. And I guess the, the next part of the question is why did New Zealand name such a strong first 15 knowing that the team they were coming up against? Why this team would have rivaled, this probably would have beaten the, the Wallabies on, on any given day, the team that New Zealand named. And they're going up against a team from the Pacific Islands who have just spent two weeks in quarantine, have just come out as scraping players together. Out of the 23 players they named to face New Zealand, 13 of them were debutants. So they had 10 players who had played an international game for out of the whole 23. It just it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense It why, first of all, New Zealand would play a team of that level. Um, it doesn't help Tonga develop their skills with a game like this. It doesn't help the Tongan fans feel more engaged or the Tongan public feel more engaged to the game of rugby. It just it, it makes everyone, you sort of come away from feeling a little bit off-put uh, from a result like this. Now, the yeah. next... Yeah, I'll, I'll just quickly speak to that. Um, and I just want to recognise that we're kind of projecting how we would feel if this was an Australian experience mm. um, and we're in a similar Australian circumstance. Perhaps there is a element to it from someone who has more understanding of Tongan rugby than we do that maybe they're seeing things differently but from an outsider's perspective it's super hard to see the value here yeah and and I don't want to take anything away from the Tongan players because they gave it everything they could and and don't want to disrespect their team at all and say that they didn't deserve to be playing this but it it just didn't feel like New Zealand honored them by naming a team that was going to be so much better and no one would have like we Going into this game, you could see tweets going about people saying, how much is the score going to be? Is it 60 points, 70 points, 80 points? We were expecting this result from the teams that were named. Yeah. So it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The next thing I want to chat about around this is why is this game being played and hosted in New Zealand and not played in Tonga? So if we're talking about wanting to boost the game in the Pacific Islands to make them more competitive um, and to really engage the Pacific Islanders back into sort of the Pacific, in the Southern Hemisphere rugby environment. So we're talking about bringing them in through Moana Pacifica. We're talking about bringing them into rugby, playing them more often. Playing the game in New Zealand has no benefit to Pacific Island rugby at all. There's what what I would have preferred to have seen happen in this scenario is that the All Blacks go over to Tonga. They maybe play two or three tests over there. 
base themselves there for a good three to four weeks because obviously they would need to be doing under current circumstances they need to be doing quarantine but then through the weeks leading up to the test matches they should be going out and conducting um, clinics with the local players getting in and really um, showing the local community how to play rugby and, and what it takes to be an all black and really sort of spread their worth in that community and I feel like it's an uh, it's a um, it was a missed opportunity because yeah, the place I mean, then look I hear I hear what you're saying now I genuinely do and I think that there is a lot to be said for New Zealand maybe considering traveling there although we do have the quarantine issues so maybe it's better mm-hmm. if you have multiple teams coming to the one country but um the danger I think of what you're saying there of having a New Zealand team go out and about and kind of raise the the all blacks flag as it were is that you might then see even more experience of poaching players of Pacific Island heritage for the All Blacks. Um, and it might just be another opportunity for the New Zealand kind of coaches and scouts to be scouting out the next red hot talent to fast track through the Kiwi system. Well, I mean, that's that would be what they would do if they were there. Like you could go there. It's, it's purely from a point of actually trying to progress the game in the, in the Pacific Islands without trying to poach the talent. Um, the thing I want to say around that was, that these Tongan players, because they play the game in New Zealand, they don't get they don't get paid to play. So the match fees and things don't go to them. The gatekeepings go to New Zealand. So Tonga don't actually come away any more financially better by playing this test. If anything, they come off worse than if they played the test in in Tonga. If they had played it there, they might have been able to keep a share of the profits yep. from the game. Some of the things that have been going around since the game's finished is that the Tongan players had to actually themselves pay to quarantine. So they had to, to foot the bill themselves to come to New Zealand, go through quarantine and then get trounced by the All Blacks 102 to nil. And at, at the current time that we're sitting at World Rugby, that just isn't good enough. Yep. I feel like New Zealand should have foot that bill completely. Um, and there should be some compensation to these players to come up against a team like the All Blacks. Yeah, 100% agreed. Um, I think what we might shift to now is just recapping some of what Todd Aikefu, the coach's suggestions were about how these some of these issues could be addressed in future because obviously this has happened. Now what can be done moving forward to ensure that uh, the playing field is leveled, as it were? And one of them was... Uh, he doesn't give any detail about how this is going to happen, but I find it really difficult to see in reality is just the Tongan Association getting better and longer access to their players who are playing over in Europe. And that is incredibly hard to see happening with the power of the French clubs um, unless we're seeing the world cal- the, the global calendar come into mm. play from World Rugby. But Bill Beaumont's re-election as World Rugby chairman is basically shooting that in the foot because he's never been a supporter of the global calendar. Um, yep. And so I don't see that one happening under his tenure. Uh, another thing that he said was spending more time together as a squad. So potentially we might see Moana Pacifica being an opportunity for a large group of the Tongan players to actually play together at a good level on a regular, um, at a regular level, or yep. regular um, sequence of games, regular basis. Yep. And then also changing eligibility criteria for players. So uh, Malachi Fekatoa is um, going through the Olympic Sevens loophole. So um, please correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's trying to play for Samoa. Is that correct for Fekatoa? No, I um, think he's trying to play for his 
no, no, no. So he's he's obviously cat for New Zealand, but what he's doing is he's going to the Olympics, and I've, I'm sorry, I'm having a mental blank as to what team he's playing for, but it's not. The I think he's yeah, I think he's playing for Tonga. Oh, Tonga. Cool. Sorry, yeah. I misheard you then. Um, yeah, sorry, so yeah, I think he's, he's playing for Tonga. Yep. So he's going through the Olympics playing for Tonga so he can get go through the loophole and then start playing 15s for Tonga because he's not getting picked for the All Blacks anymore. And now yep. he wants to represent Tonga because of his heritage and his connection to Tonga itself. And so maybe if we change the eligibility requirements where if a player hasn't been selected by the nation that they cap for for three or four years then they're able to, if they can demonstrate ancestry or heritage or whatever from another country, they can then play for that second country. I have no issue with that at all. Yeah, um, you should be able to defect, like, or not defect, change your allegiances so that if a player, say, like Taniela Tupo, who's the Tongan Thor, plays the majority of his test matches for Australia and he gets to the point where he's no longer getting picked for Australia but still playing at a consistent level of rugby, he can then change his allegiances to Tonga and then play for the rest of his career for Tonga, represent them in the World Cup, represent them in test matches. It just means he can't go back and then play for Australia again. And I don't see that being an issue. Um, I don't understand why. Particularly, I've heard that Fiji is not a fan of this either, but I don't actually understand why, because I feel like it would only benefit them in the long run. Maybe they're seeing, and I don't know, um, Simon Raoui yeah. would be the better person to speak with about this. Um, but um, from my Even understanding... Even Dan Leo's said yeah, some good stuff as well. Yeah, my understanding might be that they believe that they have the strength now to, uh, and they want to keep those top players rather than maybe going across to England or New Zealand or Australia and getting a larger match payments for a period mm. of time and then coming back later in their careers when they're less... Uh, less effective as a player and so it may well be that they're wanting the players in their peak in their prime to be playing for Fiji and not one of the other countries but yeah. knowing they've then got that fallback option yeah yeah okay all right yeah who knows um, I think we need to keep going mate because we've yeah. been chatting a lot tonight so you're right if we head across to Ireland versus Japan yep perfect so and you didn't get to see a whole lot of this game but uh, Japan was leading for a very large chunk of this game and really pushed Ireland right up until the final few minutes and I was really impressed. And a lot of people on social media have been really impressed with this Japanese side. They're going from strength to strength since the World Cup in 2019. And if they continue on this upward trajectory, I really would love to see them included in expanded rugby champs in a few years. And really, I think that like Argentina, coming up again, playing these first tier nations, well, they're now c- categorized as tier one as well, but continually playing these nations will only make them get better and better. Yep, I completely agree. Um, Japan are just my favorite second team. They are incredible to watch. They're incisive. They're accurate. They're dynamic. Um, it is a real pleasure just to watch them play. Uh, I'm not too sure what <laughs> what more I want to say, knowing that we don't have a huge amount of time. But it was the, the first half that I caught, I was just rooting for them to run away with the match um, and to get up, up over the Irish. But credit to the Irish as well. They didn't play particularly well for the first kind of half an hour, but eventually clawed their way back in and asserted yeah. a bit. I'm not sure if it's dominance, but at least got their structures in place and were able to execute what they were trying to. Yeah, perfect. Now I think we'll move on to the last point for the pod this week, and that's just looking towards the British and Irish Lions series that's, that's just kicked off in Johannesburg. So, South Africa had their first test match since winning the World Cup in 2019. They played Georgia in 
Uh, I'm not Cape Town. I, I'm not actually sure where the game was played, but they came away 40 to nine victors. A uh, few cobwebs for the first half. They did look fairly rusty, but I guess that's to be expected from a team that's not played together in two years. Does still ask some questions, though. They're only about two weeks away from facing the British and Irish Lions, who were coming off a pretty convincing win against the Joburg Lions. So they came away from that game 56-14 victors, and they named a pretty strong side. So some of the players in that side as well, you would be expecting to see backing up maybe Test 1. So interesting to see what happens in the next few weeks. Um, if if South African really gel together and get some more time together to really um, train and get those combinations working. But it's going to be an interesting series, particularly that first test. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and a lack of um, crowds at the moment is really significant because that takes away a significant part of the home ground advantage that the uh, box are going to be hoping for so maybe something will change maybe they'll allow partial crowds in or something but i mean we know that over the last 18 months or so as sport around the world has been progressing without crowds largely without crowds um home ground advantage has basically shifted away to being negligible so that's an even it's it's another uh issue that the south africans are coming up against the fact that they don't get the home ground advantage haven't had a significant amount of game time um and are coming up against a pretty battle hard in british and irish line squad have been playing their domestic comps now for the last 12 months or so yeah and we've also got nick berry who's quite impartial to a team wearing red He's refereeing the first test. So <laughs> South Africa is really going to have to pull something out of the bag for that one. All right. On that high note, mate, do you, should we go and reveal some of, well, reveal who we're going to be talking to uh, All right. tonight if for you've got the to this, live stream? Yes. If you got this far on the pod, congratulations. And you were rewarded with the announcement that we will be joined tomorrow night, Monday night at 8 p.m. by former Wallaby Ben Alexander to preview the upcoming Wallaby series with France. So tomorrow night we'll be focused on test one, which will be going ahead on Wednesday evening, 8 p.m. kickoff, I believe, or 7.45 kickoff. But we will be doing that tomorrow night or Monday night, whatever time you're listening to this. Ben Alexander's joining us. Uh, We're going to have live questions coming in. We're going to preview the squads. We're going to preview the test. And it's going to be great. Really looking forward to it. Very, very keen. It's going to be heaps of fun. Top quality production value without a shadow of a doubt. So make sure you tune in. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, 8 p.m. sharp. And we look forward to hearing your comments, banter. Make sure you hashtag get involved. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this pod. We look forward to seeing you all live tomorrow night, 8 p.m. And we will catch you then. See you. Bye. Bye.